Welcome to Pat and Rod Save the World. I'm one of your genial hosts, Patrick Brown. I'm Roderick Makem. And it is the week ending 20 December 2014. Happy fucking Christmas. Yeah. We're going to do something of a Christmas podcast, and there were so many interesting things in the news this week, we decided not to. Yeah. Um, it was, uh, there's just uh, a shitload going on in the world. Um, we're going to start with uh, a discussion about the uh, the Sydney siege that occurred on Monday. Yeah, I hesitate to call it a siege, but we'll get well, to that it was later. Well, it was a siege. It yeah. was. Like in ter- as in, in terms of, um, you know, other police sieges that have co- occurred around Australia since October, mm. um, it was clearly a siege. Whether or not it's a terrorist attack, I think, is a more fruitful topic of discussion, but yeah. we'll get to that. Okay, we will get to that. Yeah. So the second topic is going to be the hacking of Sony as a result of their um, attempted or failed release of the movie called The Interview yep. uh, by North Korean hackers. And finally, we're going to talk about Stephen Colbert, who signed off for the last time this week, and um, his impact on American politics and the uh, general conceptions thereof. Yes. So... Take it away, man. Facts of the Sydney siege. We are, of course, by the way, located in Sydney, so I suppose we have some proximity to this one. Yeah, so uh, so very briefly, because it has been all over, not just the Australian news, but also the international news. So I, um, I doubt there'd be any of our listeners who aren't over the general facts themselves. Um, but, uh, but on Monday morning in Martin Place, right in the middle of the Sydney CBD, um, sort of the heart of the CBD, really. Um, a, uh, a dickhead, uh, who I'm not going to name because, frankly, he doesn't deserve to have his name remembered. Um, you know what? I, I already don't remember it. You'll be happy to know. <laughs> Good man. Good. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, he, um, he walked into the Lint Chocolate Cafe with uh, a sawn-off shotgun, uh, help, uh, basically took, a, I think, it's 17 hostages, uh, in the end, there was a lot of uh, conjecture during the day about how many there were, um, and uh, uh, put a uh, it was a general sort of Islamic flag. What do you remember the name of the? Yeah, it's like the Declaration of Faith. Yeah, it's actually just a very sort of elaborately written um, Declaration of Faith. Um, there is no God but God, and Muhammad yeah. is his prophet. Um, and so this uh, and this particular flag is important because it somehow elevated it from being uh, different from the uh, five other police sieges involving armed suspects that have occurred around Australia since the start of October into uh, what many deemed a full-blown terrorist attack, um, which, uh, if you believe some sections of the media, has completely changed our way of life Some forever. sections? Call, call them by The name. fucking Daily Telegraph. I hate them so much. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't take long to get that out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No hesitation. Good. Yeah. This uh, is a podcast, Rod. We're supposed to be judgmental <laughs> and call people out by name. Yeah. Like, like this guy, uh, again, not going to give his name because fuck him, fuck him right in the ear. Um, he's, he's just a complete fuck up, basically. A dickhead criminal um, who was uh, facing 40 sex charges going back about a decade to when he was like a mystic spiritual healer. Um, he, uh, he was a Shiite Muslim from Iran um, who uh, came to a 
disturbing sort of prominence that I guess made him happy um, a few years back by sending uh, uh, threatening letters to the uh, to the widows of um, slain soldiers. Um, did a lot of protesting about Australia's military involvement in the Middle East. Not that uh, there's anything wrong with that. Yeah. Um, and then uh, uh, also currently on bail um, for uh, allegedly being the accessory to his wife's murder. She was stabbed and burned to death. Um, she was, the way I read it, was set on fire. So I think that she may well have been dead before they set the body on fire. Mm. I, I don't know. Uh, the details are, are blurry. Either way. But it gives you a good flavour of the chap. Either way, unsavoury character. Um, mm. uh, and another thing I find interesting about it, and I think it sort of goes to the heart of why this guy was just, uh, what was the phrase I used? Like a, an opportunist of extremism. Mm. Um, is that, uh, yeah, he, um, he'd made his whole... Uh, you know, extremist sort of persona out of being a, um, a Shiite cleric, despite the fact that the Shiite community of Australia completely disowned him and said, who the fuck is he? Um, but, uh, but a couple of months ago, um, decided to uh, convert to Sunni Islam, which is, uh, I'm told, a very unusual occurrence. And that just so happened to coincide with, um, uh, with obviously, ISIS in, the, in Iraq and Syria, um, and Australia sending troops there. Now, not uh, having an insight uh, directly into the guy's mind, I'm not, I, you know, I can't say with it, this any certainty. Um, but if he's uh, made his whole extremist persona based around Australia's military involvement in the Middle East, um, and now Australia's military involvement in the Middle East is against ISIS, but he's a Shiite, and uh, ISIS are well slaughtering and torturing Shiite Muslims. Um, it, it clearly goes that he doesn't really have a great depth of faith in what he's doing, um, and he just wanted a chance to uh, continue his um, his existing uh, uh, extremist rants um, about an involvement in the Middle East, um, but couldn't do that as a Shiite, so uh, just jumped ships like the rat that he was. Um, so the consequence of this... So, in terms of linkage, there yeah. was the Islamic flag, there was the request for an ISIS flag, because that's how well organised he was. Yeah. Um, you know, even his propaganda was relegated to being a request uh, during the hostage negotiations. Um, and the fact that uh, he, he basically had made declarations in support of ISIS previously on internet posts. Yeah. The question About is, the time that he was uh, jumping ship from one branch of faith to another. Yeah. So the, the reason that I don't like calling it a siege is that it just makes it sound more consequential than I think it should have been. Yeah. And I understand that the, the formal definition of a siege is easily fitted by the um, circumstances, hmm. where, by the way, in case you're not across it, ultimately the siege ended. Um, could you just give the factual scenario? Yeah, so uh, I think it was about two in the morning. Um, or so after the siege had been going on since uh, it was around the 10 previous morning yeah, yeah around 10 the previous morning um, and uh, uh, I think it was five hostages had escaped during the day uh, just like run out I guess while he wasn't paying attention um, and there's still a bit of conjecture over how it all ended 
um, the main sort of media narrative is that uh, one of the um, one of the hostages, who was the uh, manager of the cafe, I believe his name was Tory Johnson, um, uh, attempted to uh, grab the gun out of the guy's hands um, while he was dozing off. Uh, he got shot. The police outside heard shots fired and uh, ran in, took the guy out. Um, but in the meantime, uh, another woman, a barrister in Sydney, uh, whose name escapes me at the moment. I'm very sorry about Katrina that. Katrina Dawson. Thank you. Um, from all accounts, also from uh, people who knew her, a very, very lovely person yeah. and mother of um, several children. Yeah, uh, also tragically lost her life. Um, and uh, some of the other um, hostages were also injured and uh, dickhead criminal uh, shot and killed by the police. Mm. And that's where it ended. Rupert Murdoch uh, decided at that point to congratulate his, uh, his Daily Telegraph for... Um, being the only media there covering the bloody outcome. Factually not true, other media were there also. Did he say the words bloody outcome? Bloody outcome, congrats. A newsman to his core. What? Uh, Probably not. Yeah, he's no, just forgetting. No mention, no mention of the uh, of the victims, or uh, it's a little bit like uh, Rupert. Um, this is not internal news yeah. corp communications. <laughs> Twitter is actually a public mechanism. Um, not only your friends, in inverted commas, can see what you write. Yeah. Uh, regardless of Rupert being a fucking asswipe, as he always is, um, it's I. Do we call this terrorism or not? That's the thing. Like, I I don't see any sort of controversy about calling it a siege. I think it clearly was. Sure, um, sure, sure, yeah. Um, it's just an instinctive aversion I have to <laughs> making it sound consequential. But, I mean, I think that this fits the classical definition of terrorism. I do. Yeah. It's ultimately, it's a guy for political ends, however silly, um, using violence to promote those ends. Um, nonetheless, I would distinguish it somewhat. There's a partial overlap with the problem of Islamic extremism, but I distinguish it from that in the sense that its nature and quality is different purely by degree. Um, The day after there was an attack by the Taliban of a Pakistani school that killed 140 children. That, in my mind, is really an Islamic extremism problem in action. This guy, I would like to write off as just a fuck up yeah just just a criminal that latched on to an idea and yeah i did, think yeah i mean even isis doesn't really seem to be claiming any no. kind of inspirational responsibility he's obviously not formally or even informally connected Connect, to them yeah. but they he, haven't embraced of, yeah, him outside of his own mind and the like the other thing that's important to mention about fuck up is that um uh, he'd lost a court challenge on Friday before the uh, before the siege mm. um, uh, over the um, over the uh, soldiers' letter writing thing. Um, he was facing uh, you know court cases over the sexual uh, assaults and the wife's murder. Everything was you know coming to an end for this guy. Um, which is why I would hesitate to really ascribe much. Uh, political motivation to what he was doing. Yeah, so what you're saying... I, th- is- I think he's a dickhead criminal who attached himself um, to uh, to various ideologies that that more or less rejected him. Um, and uh, his criminality was what was catching up with him. Um, and he... Uh, 
he'd been scrambling for, for relevance and for notoriety pretty much his whole adult life. And uh, that much the, is clear. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the fuckwit decided to go out with a bang. Um, so this, I, I think th- he was just facing. Yeah, I mean, he was he was facing such serious things coming up to, in court. Um, Do you think this is a reasonable way to consider this? Yeah. Um, how much you can connect this with the Islamic extremism issue um, is: Would this guy have done it? Um, without Islamic extremism as a major issue existing in the world. Yeah, that's an interesting thing. And I, I think he could well have, yeah, actually. Yeah, that's the thing. He, I, I, and I get not having seen any psychological profiles of the guy, so this is purely speculation on my part. Mm. Um, but I'm pretty sure that this fuckwit would have, um, he'd have attached himself to something else if it wasn't Islamic extremism. Yeah. If, if Islamic extremism didn't exist... Mm. Um, this dickhead criminal would have found some other cause that he could try and appropriate to make him not make himself look like not just another dickhead criminal. Mm. Um, and once his criminality caught up with him, he would have been taking over a cafe with a sawn-off shotgun in the name of whatever other cause he'd attached himself to. Well, and this, I think, gets to the core of the problem, which is that as you rightly point out, responsibly, that's pure speculation. And I suppose for the lone wolf phenomenon, as it's known, i.e. a single person adopting an Islamic extremist pose without any proper connection to the organisations that we're seriously concerned about, um, the, the problem is you don't know if they would behave as violent lone wolves without the terrorism organisations. So there's really a question as to what extent is the lone wolf problem actually an outcome of the um, Islamic extremist organisations and how much is it of an outcome of just crazy people who happen to adopt yeah. that cause for something silly that they would have done yeah. anyway? Which isn't to say there isn't a major problem with violent Islamic extremism in the world. Uh, Pakistan this week, for example... Um, mm. but, uh, I, I think a lot of the, uh, a lot of the, uh, discussion about it in Australia, and there has been a lot in the past few months, um, is that, uh, most of the people in this fuckstain included, um, were basically just violent criminals who, and, um, the thing about most violent criminals is they don't like to think of themselves as violent criminals. They, um, they love a justification. Yeah. And I have to say, my own experience of this, um, living in a city that was controlled by various militias for a while, yeah. while I was living in the Middle East, was for the most part, um, except for the most ideologically motivated militants, most of the militants were really actually no-hopers. Yeah. They were not sophisticated. They were not educated. Um and they got killed with alarming regularity. <laughs> um, and I suppose the, the reason that they didn't mind taking that risk for some time in the sun and to have the ability to stand over people as if um, personifying a real cause was because they had nothing else going on. What was really scary, though, is when you came across the ideologically motivated yeah people with everything to live for. And those people did exist. Um, I mean, that's a different brand of extremism. But I think that it's a constructive way to think about the problem, 
where you have these highly ideologically motivated people who could do anything they want to, but they choose this. And the kind of hordes of no-hopers that latch on yeah. to those people. And that's a... there's. That bifurcation of the extremist population is something that I observed firsthand. Yeah. And I think that it's a reasonable way to think about it in this case as well. This guy was one of the hordes, except he was even further removed yeah. from the proper ideologues that we're concerned about. Yeah, like this guy was a criminal with delusions of grandeur. He was. Um, delusions of grandeur is, by the way, the thing that's echoed in my head. Just yeah. looking at the dude on news footage. He is a guy who thinks he is much more consequential than he is. Yeah. Um, I hesitate to call him crazy because that takes away responsibility. Um, and maybe it's because I'm just pissed that he did something terrible in the city that I live in. Yeah. I don't want to call him crazy. I just want to call him an asshole. Um, so, you know, a violent asshole who ultimately, you know, got his just desserts. Although I just... I, it would have been better perhaps if they'd caught the guy and just stuck him in a prison cell and made him suffer for the rest of his life. Yeah, I was thinking I was thinking about that as well. I don't like the idea but of him like, being a martyr. Yeah, I don't like the idea of him being a martyr as well. Although, as we were saying, no no one has claimed him as a martyr, not even no. fucking ISIS. No, I mean... Like, that's how much he, this guy has been rejected by his the own ideology that he tried to claim. Um, there are people in ISIS who've commented on it and, and been happy about it yeah. and, of course, you know, spewed invective about... Um, but uh, but no one's been like, yeah, this guy. <laughs> He's yeah, yeah, this guy's one of ours. Yeah, no I one. mean, like, um, this were... was a pretty haphazard, stupid, as well as violent um, expression of um, uh, an idiot's delusions of self-grandeur, yeah. you know, of, of deluded self... Um. And, uh, yeah, I mean, what, uh, what sort of really annoying me about it the past couple of days is how uh, sections of the Australian media, namely the Daily Telegraph and a few others, have tried so hard to turn this into a major terrorist attack um, the day we changed forever. Mm. And it, fuck, it just fucking isn't. Um, I really think, actually, that in the wider scheme of things, as tragic as this is, I don't think it's going to change anything. No, I don't, well, I hope it doesn't. I, I think I think the coverage that they're giving this is, in a way, giving a legitimacy to this fuck stain that he just doesn't deserve. Mm. Like there is no way that this dickhead should, have, um, you know, if he's a uh, a disembodied spirit looking down on the earth right now, <laughs> or up, or up, <laughs> there is no fucking way that he should be gaining any sort of, yeah, I changed things. Fuck you, man. You fucking didn't. No, I, I, I hope not. And But according to the Daily Telegraph, he, he, he would be stoked. Well, the question is how representative is the Daily Telegraph? I mean, because there's obviously a sort of sick relish that Murdoch himself mm. displayed in the fact that he now had a terrorist event in inverted commas yeah. to talk about in his and own country. And they have just gone nuts with it. Like and they day really have after day nuts. of page after page. Well, the question like is... It's, they, like yesterday, just quickly, they had a fucking graphic almost covering the full page of the weapon of terror, or whatever they called it, the sawn-off shotgun, with like a, <laughs> a 3D look at a shotgun cartridge. I mean... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, can you imagine a, what they would do if there was actual an actual major terrorist attack? I, I, to be honest, I actually thought that the sawn-off shotgun was reputed 
basically a petty criminal yeah. weapon of choice. <laughs> I believe it is, Pat. I believe it is. Like, can we turn something that's used to shoot rabbits into something that inflicts maximum damage when I can't aim? Yeah. Um, not that, you know, that's really just me watching Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels <laughs> more than anything else. But, you know, that's at least what's in my mind about the Sawn-Off shotgun. People want more range these days. People want more range <laughs> these days. So I think that the Telegraph, the question is, how much does it change the way that the Australian population thinks about this? And I think it's a worthy anecdote to tell. Yeah. I was sitting in a cafe when this was unfolding. Um, I've been going to this cafe for you know, near on nine, ten months at this point. Yep. And there's a chap who works at the cafe, been there every day, never heard a nasty word out of him, really liked the guy. But as we watched this unfold on television, some of the things that came out of this guy's mouth, um, even if they were jokes, because people weren't across the seriousness of the situation at this time, to the effect that we should just blow them all away, including the hostages, just so we can get those fucking Islamists. It worried me. Yeah. And it was an interesting indicator of how usually nice people can get tribally defensive in this very sort of uh, emotionally affected and caustic and vitriolic way. And this can actually be something that drives policy en masse. Yeah. And so I hope that what The Telegraph is showing and what I saw in that cafe, and by the way, no one sort of said anything about what this guy was saying. Everyone just sort of stood around and looked uncomfortable. Um, I, I hope that nothing changes. I hope that people do relegate this to just being a lone twit. Um, no, I mean, I shouldn't use the word twit, just violent cunt yeah and just to forget about it and get on with life yeah i mean one thing that uh that actually legitimately worries me about um a lot of the media coverage of all of this is that if um you know if there were people uh out in the um you know uh western suburbs of sydney which is where a lot of uh you know muslim immigrants live in australia who were more seriously inclined towards uh, violent extremism mm. um, and, uh, you know, potentially had actual um, links to, uh, to uh, terrorist groups, they just must be watching this and rubbing their hands together. Well, this is, we discussed this at the time. Yeah. You could shut down the entirety of Sydney City with five different teams moving into a cafe each. Yeah. It would just that would be the end of Sydney for days if you planned it properly. Yeah, and and I mean the main thing that uh, the terrorists well not the main thing that they want but one of the main things they want is exposure. They yeah. they want as many people seeing what they're doing as possible. The problem and was though, as I was self-flagellating a little earlier, yeah. um, we really contribute to that. That's I'm the true. first to admit that during the coverage of this event, I lapped up the coverage. Yeah, which of course perpetuates the coverage which, of course, really perpetuates the problem. Yeah. And so in our own little ways, any of us who actually pay any kind of attention to this sort of thing are really yeah. just uh, fulfilling the desires of the assholes who perpetrate it. Yeah. But say for you know four days after, The Telegraph is still taking up four full pages mm. detailing uh, you know, this major terrorist attack. They, like, yeah. Well, certainly I am consciously not reading about yeah. it now, but I can't say that was the case for the first 48 hours. Yeah, yeah. Um, and 
I can't really see... If you want to be a well-informed citizen, I can't see that there's a way around that. Uh, but I think everyone just has to acknowledge that by paying this much attention to these things, we really do allow a single arsewipe to just jerk an entire country on a chain. Yeah. And also the global media at will. I mean, there is no one less worthy of having this kind of attention paid to him than the guy who had this attention paid to him. Yeah. And this weird inversion of that normative truth where he ends up becoming the focus of the global media for a day is just exactly an innately... Exactly what this cunt wanted. It is, and it's an innately sad thing. Yeah. And it seems to be a dynamic that we are powerless to prevent. Uh, yeah. So on that happy note... Oh, well, I think it's, that's <laughs> actually a, um, a bit of a good segue um, of dickheads <laughs> yanking the, uh, the global media's chain... On to North Korea and Sony. North Korea and Sony. So Seth Rogen, um, very funny uh, actor and film creator in Hollywood. Um, he and uh, James Franco created a movie called The Interview, which is about um, journalists who are recruited by the CIA to kill Kim Jong-un. Jong-un, the dear leader of North Korea, during an interview that he's granted to those journalists. It is, of course, entirely fictional. It is completely satirical and not <laughs> serious. Um, and as a result of this, there have been hacking attacks perpetrated on Sony in particular, which is the distributor or the uh, company behind the movie, that have exposed senior, senior executives' emails. Um, and there's a lot of embarrassing stuff in there. Um, as you can imagine, it is a seething morass of ego. <laughs> uh, and when you expose the email correspondence around the inevitable conflicts between the power players in Hollywood, there's a lot of juicy shit. Yeah, media's been all over it. Media has been all over it. And this actually goes to our previous discussion about whether or not certain emails should be disclosed if they're hacked and released. Yeah. Um, and there have been journalists ploughing through this stuff with glee yeah. and publishing it because it's just too good not to publish. And yeah. I think well, that, they know they'll get clicks. <laughs> yeah, they know they're going to get clicks. And I think that ultimately we had a discussion about whether or not news organisations would show much restraint. I think our provisional opinion was that they weren't. And they did And they not. certainly have not. And this is a perfect example of stuff that there's really no public interest in what a particular Sony executive says about Angelina Jolie. No. Um, there really is not. And, you know, this is internal inside baseball Hollywood shit and the news media has gone absolutely berserk with it. There are a lot of embarrassed executives. So the outcome of it is that Sony has not released the movie yeah and it, uh, it, just uh sorry to interrupt sure um uh it was uh individual uh theater chains who first started saying we're not going to show it mm. and then sony decided to pull it all together yeah it's worth making the point that um as well as the hacking attack which seems now to have been proven to be originating in North Korea. Yeah. There were also terrorist yeah, threats. There was, uh, yeah, they, yeah. About, um, you know, 9-11 was nothing. If you go and see this movie, we're yeah. going to attack theatre complexes, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, which I don't think, obviously, deserve much credit. And the, the quality of the English in yeah. which these threats were written was fucking hilarious. Like... 9-11. <laughs> <laughs> 
So round re, so round re, sad re, round. That is a uh, reference to uh, Team America, Team America, World Police, yeah. and the previous dear leader of North Korea and his song Seoul Round Re, Kim Jong Il, which is a uh, interesting point. I was going to get to it later, but since we've already sung the song, yeah. Um, I was reading an article by a bloke called Robert Evans earlier today about this, um, and he was just talking about how. Uh, yeah, th- this decision to uh, to pull the movie, um, it really shouldn't come as a surprise to anyone because uh, he was obviously talking more in a strictly American sense, but I'm just going to expand it out to Western culture in general. Absolutely. Because um, why not? Um, is that we've basically become cowards. Um, and he was going back to, uh, you know, Team America in, uh, in 2006. Um, and... Uh, yeah, um, you know, they uh, they absolutely crucified Kim Jong Il in that, um, and uh, oh, yeah, that's right, and um, uh, and no one thought twice about uh, about uh, showing that movie or not. Um, if that happened today, uh, yeah, the, probably a similar thing would happen. Um, and he said probably the uh, possibly the start of that linked to uh, to Team America, the same creators who do South Park, um, when Comedy Central decided not to show their uh, their uh, uh, their innocuous portrayal of Muhammad. Uh, yeah, exactly. The Prophet Muhammad. Yeah, based on a terrorist threat that was pretty much statistically zero chance of happening. Mm. Um, and he was saying it's because. Uh, People, uh, well, people get so scared over nothing now um, that companies just think, well, better to cave because people might not watch what we put out um, if we're making them scared. Yeah, so the interesting thing about this is that uh, we did a scan of the media this morning over a coffee as we do the morning that we create this podcast. And we could not find a single person who approved of Sony's decision. All we could find, just universal condemnation of their decision not to release the movie, including, by the way, President Obama. He said some great things about it, actually. He actually, yeah, he said some pretty intelligent things, Um, one of which is that he considers that it's an attack by a nation state on an American company or a company that has many interests in America and that um, he's going to weigh a proportionate response to it. Um, he also said that he thought that um, Sony's decision was a mistake, and I think that that's the right way to frame it, really. Um, so it's an incredibly complex topic, but the outcome of it is quite simple. Yeah, uh, Obama said some uh, some really good things about it, I thought, and um, uh, one of the, the quotes here is that uh, we cannot have a society where some dictator someplace can start imposing censorship here in the United States. Because if somebody's going to intimidate them for releasing a satirical movie, imagine what's going to happen when there's a documentary they don't like. Even worse, if producers and distributors start engaging in self-censorship because they don't want to offend the sensibilities of somebody, frankly probably needs their sensibilities offended. Hmm. Um, it's all- nice to quote the leader of the free world and not follow it up by mocking him, isn't it? Yeah, it's actually been a while. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's nice. It's just nice to hear him say something sensible that I agree with every part. Of. I, it's very rare that that happens, but there you go. Yeah. Um, so obviously, we are very disapproving of Sony's um, 
decision as well. I actually think that it's much less motivated by fears of uh, fears of terrorist attacks and more motivated by the fact that you have a lot of terrified executives right now paying enormous amounts of money to security experts <laughs> to harden up the security systems around their emails. Um, so I think it's actually less sort of altruistic um, concern for the customers than it is just pure executive self-interest not to piss off the people with this hacking capability. Yeah, just uh, just on the level of, uh, of security or otherwise, a uh, good mate of mine, Carson Walker, um, he was uh, he was telling me during the week that uh, the actual level of hacking was uh, really not impressive at all. Someone from Sony posted valid certificates from a current project on a public website, apparently. Oh, um, my God. The password for the certifications was the same as the file name. <laughs> Um, IT security can be a frustrating profession when developers are all idiots. Also, they haven't (laughs) fixed the problem and those certificates are still in production. (laughs) So that is, by the way, I mean, Carson is a guy who knows about computer security. I have some exposure to it as a web developer myself. It's an extraordinarily difficult thing always to get right. Um, And the simple reality of every computer system is that there is no computer system you can prove is secure. Such a thing as absolute security does not exist. But for something like email at the scale that Sony would be running it at under fairly old legacy systems, I assume, there'd be just holes aplenty. I don't think that any company could withstand... There there are very few companies that could withstand a sustained attack on uh, their email servers. So... I, th- I think that you've got a lot of executives who are hurriedly deleting emails these days yeah. um, to the extent that they're able to and probably outside the policies of their companies. It's a new world. Yeah. It's fascinating, really. And the fact that they've been able to so easily track down this attack to um, North Korean IP addresses yeah. or IP addresses that have been linked with North Korean attacks before, actually, it is a fantastic indicator of the fact that these guys are not very sophisticated. Um, It's not a hard thing to mask an IP address. (laughs) And the fact that they're reusing infrastructure, server infrastructure and IP addresses for the same, for for subsequent attacks, I mean, it's pretty pretty low grade, man. I mean, it's not hard to whip up infrastructure these days with cloud services and, you know, just dispose of it after you've finished with it. But I think that the case here might be that they're actually not uninterested in us knowing who they are, even if they publicly deny it. You have a 31-year-old dictator now who feels pretty... That actually really pisses me off, the idea of this guy feeling chuffed with what they've done. Um, And, uh, I mean, links back to our previous conversation on world terrorism, because this, like... This would pretty much fit the the bill for cyber terrorism, would it not? Like it's cyber terrorism. Uh, I mean, as in it's certainly cyber attack. Yeah, political like ends through the exposure yeah. of private information. I suppose if you're going to call then a then thing we, cyber terrorism, this would be called cyber yeah. terrorism. Yeah, and um, and wouldn't you know it? Successful as fuck. <laughs> Very successful, and that's a problem. I mean, yeah, you've now given every hacker in the world. Just a spectacular idea to pursue any number of weird political ideologies in this fashion. Um, so it's a real pity that we've been cowed by this twit 
who has to unfortunately be taken with some degree of seriousness because of his nuclear weapons, but should not be dictating what a Western, what a, a Western company can and yeah. release. Um, it's also, I think, I haven't heard anything about this in the media, but there'd be some real sting in this so far as the Japanese are concerned. Yeah. Sony is, after all, a Japanese company. I hadn't even thought of that, but yeah, good point. And this is the yeah. Japanese kowtowing to North Korea, which cannot go down well with their sushi. I had not even thought of that. That's an interesting point. Yeah, it's all been Western-centric because yeah. all the executives, the emails are focused on is, is uh, Western-centric, but you can bet that the decision came out of Tokyo originally yeah. to, to not release this. So um, that's pretty embarrassing uh, for a people who care a lot about saving face. Um, and I just think that everyone's got mud on their face. I, I just think it's a shameful <coughs> thing. Yeah. And, and there's no disagreement from anyone really on that. And I, I suppose it's a weird thing that everyone agrees that this was the wrong decision to make, but this is the decision that was made ultimately anyway. Yeah. Could I just make a heartfelt plea to Western civilization for a moment? Could we all just stop being so afraid of terrorism? <laughs> like, it's really not that big of a threat. Events this week notwithstanding, and again, I don't really like considering uh, what happened in Sydney a terrorist event. Um, like, at the end of the day, you're, you are probably not ever going to be affected by terrorism in your life. Stop being so fucking scared of it because... That reaction is what's letting the terrorists win. So just... Well, the channel are right-winger here. They would say, well, we just need to be prepared for a clear and present danger and what's wrong with preparedness. But I think that the inevitable outcome of, quote, preparedness is this kind of media um, fear-mongering yeah. that goes on. And the chances of dying in a terrorist attack are just so goddamn low. Um notwithstanding September 11, which was pretty remarkable. Yeah, and, and it is, what, 14 years ago now. Sure, um, sure. Nonetheless, it gives you an indicator as to what these guys can do when they really put their minds to it. And I go back to a point that I've made often. I think that the biggest threat is a bunch of terrorists getting their hands on a nuke. Um, I think we should be doing everything conceivably that we can do to stop that from happening because I can imagine that would be a disaster and you, they only need to succeed once. Um, and we need to successfully block them many, many, many times. I don't like agreeing with Dick Cheney, but on that count, so far as the nukes are concerned, I kind of do. Um, you can't afford to take many risks. And just, I, I suppose I'm making the opposite point here. When you have an adversary that's this crazy and they're willing to use whatever methodology they can to extinguish the largest number of lives possible. Um, over the long term, the chances of them actually accomplishing that are quite high because they only need to succeed once. And thus, the response that we need to have will seem disproportionate, but what it's actually doing over the long term is lowering that risk as much as we possibly can. Um, now, my view is is that we should be really focused in on the nukes um, and, you know, stuff like dirty bombs and, um, and chemical weapons. Uh, but, you know, I don't think 
that terrorism is something we should take lightly. And I'm not saying that you're saying that we should. I just don't think that... Like, and I do agree we need to be less scared and we need to just go about our lives. And I totally agree with that sentiment. But my view is, is that it is a serious problem and could potentially be um, a really, really, really terrible event at some time in the future. Um, I can see what you're saying, but the idea that a terrible event could happen sometime in the future... Hmm. Like, in a way, that's no shit. Like, a terrible event could happen sometime in the future is no way to uh, live your life. I agree with that. But it's not our responsibility day-to-day to take care of security. No. And if your job is security, your job is to think about what terrible events could happen. And yeah. the terrorists showed that they had a fair amount of imagination when they pulled off September I think 11. we're speaking across purposes here. I'm talking about people as a whole. You're, you seem to be talking about what government should be doing. No, I'm talking about people being scared of this thing. Like, because the inevitable outcome of... That's what I was saying before. The inevitable outcome of preparedness is some fear amongst the general populace when you talk about what you're preparing against. Um, If you publicise the fact that you're concerned about a nuclear weapon going off in a major Western capital, people are going to be afraid of that inevitably. I agree that we should do our best not to be, but I don't think that it's... Um, I think it's understandable for people to be afraid. What pisses me off most, frankly, are the media, who should know better, um, but they're playing to a market that wants what they're giving. So while I agree with the sentiments, I suppose I'm saying that I think that what you're asking for is impossible. <laughs> <laughs> That's my basic point. <laughs> I just don't think people are not going to be scared. Well, we took a very long time to get to your point, Pat. But, uh, That's a I, reasonable critique. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I would just, uh, I would just add that uh, when I made that plea for people to just stop being so fucking frightened over something that probably isn't ever going to affect them, um, I wasn't actually expecting people to suddenly go, "Oh, I won't be afraid anymore." Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, I'm just making a point about the the realism of making that point, basically. Like, I agree wholeheartedly with it. I wish people weren't as afraid as they are, but they are. Anyway. Anyway. I don't even know where I was going with that. So, (laughs) I just, yeah. Shall we move on to Colbert? Colbert. Um, Stephen Colbert, uh, acting as a right-wing bloviating pundit. For the last 10 years or so, after leaving The Daily Show with Jon Stewart, has been a fixture on the scene um, that has had a real impact. Just as neutral as Bill O'Reilly. Yeah. I mean, if you guys haven't seen any of Stephen Colbert's shows, it really is a worthwhile way to spend a few hours or a day or two. Um, He is an excellent encapsulation of everything that's wrong with right-wing media in particularly his uh stated inspiration for the the role is bill o'reilly who's uh actually one of the highest rated news shows on american television unfortunately um so i think colbert's a really really fantastic political satirist i don't think that there's been anyone like him ever i think he's the best ever sheerly she by dint of the sheer 
amount of time that he's been able to carry off a character and do original things with it. I don't know if you followed him closely I, I, I think, during uh, his campaign yeah, finance shenanigans. No, it's just uh, sorry. I was still thinking about uh, other great political satirists. Satirists. Yeah, yeah. Um, personally, I'd go Jonathan Swift, but completely different. Um, True. Yeah. True. Like it's hard to it's hard to compare a guy. Jonathan Jonathan Swift did not have the tools available yeah. to him that Colbert had, and so when Colbert messed around with campaign finance and sent out. Um, packages to allow university students to create super PACs, to like move the money around in ways. He basically collected a bunch of money from his viewers and then moved the money around in ways to show how ridiculous the campaign <laughs> finance system is. It really was a triumph of creative system manipulation and comedy and satire um, and political punditry, frankly, all mixed into one. Just an incredibly intelligent, effective way to expose the absurdity of how power is connected with money in the political system that he lives in. Um, and so I think that it's a real pity that he's off air. He's moving to um, replace David Letterman. Yeah, I'm not sure how that's going to play out. I yeah, mean, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an entirely different sort of TV show. Sure it is. And uh, you'd imagine, it, like, yeah, the um, the Colbert persona that everyone has known for a decade. Um, it's going to be a very strange thing. will be gone because that's, that's, that's not right. that show. He's put it to bed. Yeah. Uh, and it's a very strange thing to sort of think of him as going on to a talk show yeah. to behave properly in a far less um, edgy fashion yeah. than he has been for the previous decade. Yeah, but, but if, at the same time, like he's been, like he has been doing that for a very long time, and I think he would probably be looking forward to doing something else. Oh, mate, if he you had. if you listen to he did a podcast recently with Slate's former editor David Plotz, who has a podcast on work. And he basically gets people to talk through a typical day at work. And his first guest was Stephen Colbert yeah. talking through a typical day at work. It is just, it is obviously a very high pressure, extremely fast paced job yeah. to just turn out satire with that regularity with a pretty small team yeah. from what I could tell. Um, I don't think there are more than five or six writers behind that television show which is an amazing pace to sustain yeah. as long as he has. The Daily Show is renowned for having a factory of writers, but I don't think Colbert ever got there. Um, but the quality of the stuff that he turned out was spectacular. Um, I love how, um, how well he captured right-wing personalities. I really wish there was an equivalent satirist for left-wing personalities. Yeah, I think there is... Um there is a gap in the market there. There really is. The problem is, though, is that Republicans and the right wings generally, they're just never as good at comedy. No. Um, and so you've got to take what you can get from Jon Stewart. And he has some good, sharp, on-point stuff about annoying, woolly-headed liberals. But someone really needs to come in and, and kind of take off uh, Rachel Maddow. <laughs> um, I mean, maybe it would be an interesting thing if it was a female. Uh, regardless... Anyone out there who has any uh, ambitions, there's a vacuum. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, what are your thoughts on Colbert? Well, I um, I love the show. Um, 
I've got to say though, uh, as I was watching this year, mm-hmm. and obviously, like it's, it was announced pretty much at the start of the start of the year, wasn't it? That it, this was going to be the final That's season. That's right. Moving yeah. on, um, and I was sort of watching it, going, "Yeah, still great, but time to move on." And at the same time, this year, uh, the John Oliver show started up, mm-hmm. um, and I found myself like obviously different shows. Only you know, um, John Oliver is almost comedic investigative yeah. journalism. And I was enjoying it a lot more than the Colbert Report this year. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and, you know, got a bit of grief, got a, got a bit of grief from some of my friends for putting forward that opinion. Um, no, it's a reasonable opinion to hold. Yeah. I think Colbert's been doing it for a decade. Yeah. And I think he's retiring at exactly the right yeah, time. I think. Honestly. Yeah. And no one... Because ever, it, it is still a great show. It is a great show. Going up while it's still great, I think, is a... Great option. Definitely. Um, and no one, this is the other thing, and it's been oft repeated, but I'll repeat it again for, for our listeners' sake. No one thought he'd be able to sustain it and yeah. keep it as interesting for as long as he has. It is a remarkable feat of longevity. Yeah. Well, as I mean, much he's, as else. he's been helped in the in that, in that the, the right-wing American media just gets more ridiculous every year. So he is still just as relevant now. Um, as he was when he started. That's a great point, actually. Like, like his target has grown with him. Yeah. Or exactly. he has grown with his target. Yeah. Yeah, and the same thing you can say about um, The Daily Show. Yeah. Cable news has become increasingly more ridiculous. Yeah. And, you know, Cole, I mean, John Stewart's had more and more fodder as cable television competes more and more desperately yeah. with the internet to try and keep their ridiculously sagging ratings up. Um, which is obviously going to never work. Yeah. Um, television is dying, and I, for one, am not unhappy about that. <laughs> um, so, you know, hats off to Colbert. Yeah. Really. Congratulations. Just such a trooper. I have loved the show the entire time, and I would really like for someone to come in and do the liberal equivalent. <laughs> Yeah, um, uh, yeah. As much as I was uh, saying that I was uh, I was prefer- preferring John Oliver this year, I'm, st- I'm going to miss the show. I'm going to uh, yeah, I'm going to miss the option of watching the Colbert Report. Yeah, in fact, we should probably uh, queue up the final episode um, now. So uh, I think that that's all from uh, Sunny Richmond. Yeah, uh, and uh, we'll see you guys next week. Uh, we probably won't actually. Oh, that's right. It's uh, it's Christmas and we're both going away. Yeah, so there's likely to be a gap. Yeah. Yeah, good point, man. <laughs> well made. So there's going to be a gap and uh, I think we'll be back the next week, won't we? Yeah, I think of the week, like early January. Yeah. Um, so uh, so to uh, any of our listeners around the world, have a, uh, have a great holiday season. Um, all the best. Signing off. <laughs>